That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome. I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast rewatching and discussing Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman one minute at a time. We have reached minute 73 of the film. The previous minute ended with Bruce, or I guess Alfred and Bruce confronting each other about the plans for this mineral that is harmful to Kryptonian cells, stating that I think we ended it with Bruce saying the war was brought here. Uh, Alfred, count the dead. Mm-hmm. And that is where we left it. So we've been counting the dead for, for all the time uh, since the last episode. But now we can find out what number Bruce has reached as we enter minute 73. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race. And if we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. And we have to destroy him. I guess the explicit answer is thousands. Well, what's next? Millions? Exactly. We, we, the thousands that we witnessed at the start of this movie. That is actually a good... There's been an official number given about how many people died. It was not in the movie, but I, analysis done by like people not associated with the film is that something of this scale would have cost $2 trillion and killed 129,000 people. Wow. Which I feel like the movie probably assumes it's less than that, but we know that it was kind of a catastrophic ordeal regardless. This entire minute is built, it's kind of like, well, I was going to say famous, but it's equally famous and infamous as the minute in which Bruce Wayne, Batman, outlines what is perceived, I guess, as his justification for his stance against Superman. Us talking about this, like, we know a lot of it, a lot of it is about his trauma and stuff that this Bruce would not admit to being aware of. Mm -hmm. But the, like, intellectual argument... And he goes on to say here that while Alfred points out this man is not our enemy, Bruce states that if, if he is, if we are wrong about this, he can wipe out the entire human race because Bruce witnessed at firsthand what kind of destruction he's capable of in a fight where he was not trying to hurt anybody. Right. Let's just say, I think that's the first question to discuss here is he arrives at the equation if there is a 1% chance that this man is our enemy, then we have to treat it as an absolute certainty and kill him. Yes. Again, kind of going back to what we talked about in the previous minute, for someone who says that this isn't how Batman thinks, I would say this is like totally how Batman thinks, right? He's thinking in analytical numbers. Right. Batman's whole thing is he anticipates risk. He knows the possibilities. He knows what can happen. And in this situation, Bruce is thinking ahead to the worst possible outcome. Well, that's sort of his, he doesn't have a superpower, but that's, whenever you ask the question of, like, the who would win in a fight question, if Batman is involved, the follow-up question always has to be, how long does he have to plan? Because that's always what, what determines the difference. Can Batman beat, beat, beat Superman? If he, if Superman jumps him, no. If Batman has weeks to lay out a plan, he's probably unstoppable. This was called out at the time by some people, and even now, I mean, for people who are looking at it, it is a foolish thing to say, uh, you know, what kind of person thinks 
if there is a 1% chance of something happening, it is their responsibility to act as if it is an absolute certainty. That's crazy. That's intellectually dishonest. That is completely out of your mind. Well, you know who said that. Yeah, people who are, I guess, either unaware or have put it out of their mind that this was literally the doctrine name given to Vice President of the United States, Dick Cheney, and kind of one of the masterminds of America's entire foreign policy at the start of the 21st century. Literally the book written about it. Like the book written about it is called The 1% Doctrine. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I think the the it was in that book they revealed a meeting with like CIA intelligence where it was about Pakistani scientists who may or may not be helping Al-Qaeda build a nuclear weapon. And Dick Cheney said, if there is a 1% chance, we need to treat it as an absolute certainty. Well, and then he said, it's not about our analysis. It's about our response, which is... Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that, you know, it's it's obviously... Well, it's just funny. It's funny that people talk about this as like Batman, you know, would never be driven to think of this. No person who would know better or who should know better would ever think this way. And yet, you know, literally within the last two decades, that was this was the logic that was governing the way that America saw the world and saw threats to America. This is coming on the tail of everything that we talked about beforehand about truth, justice, in the American way, what does that mean anymore? I guess at some point Superman should be agreeing with Batman on, on that grounds. Well, and there's, there, like, this is one of those things also where you kind of have to take, like, two steps back from the movie to start discussing it also. Because in the early minutes with, like, the destruction of Metropolis, as we said, and it's so weird talking about this this whole thing now because for, maybe for you and me it doesn't seem that way, but I know, like, some of our listeners maybe weren't even alive when 9-11 happened. And so this history, even if they know it, it's not something that they are pertinently kind of aware of the time in which it, it occurred. But I always recall, and I think I mentioned it even in the last minute, um, at Snyder's Director's Cut event, he was actually talking about Watchmen, I believe, and about how heroes aren't perfect and about how it's sort of important to, to not portray them as these infallible people. And the line that he he used was like, my my heroes don't kill people. They don't betray America. And he was kind of mocking this idea that just because someone puts on a cape, they're just like magically perfect. And especially when we're so separated from this stuff, it's easy to like use the name Dick Cheney. And even people that like were supportive at the time and voted for him, there's not a whole, there's far less people now that would hold him up as any kind of a shining example of like what ideal Americans are. But they were voted for. I mean, they were the heroes at one point, right? They were like the shock of nine 11 was so severe that this may seem crazy, but like that, that doctrine, it made sense to a lot of people who were terrorized. Yeah. When people were shown that their worldview was no longer real, that they were shown the horror of what was possible. They were willing to, I'll say, allow their leaders to make rationales like this. And I mean, in the in the story, Bruce has had that happen to him. Right. So he's reacting the same way. Well, and you look at, like, the, the phrase, in the context, he's talking about a nuclear weapon. And when Cheney said it, he was talking about a nuclear weapon. And yeah. so, the, so the notion is, these people want to destroy us. If there's a, if there's a, any chance, you know, 1%, if there, if there's any chance that they could be successful in doing that, it's a chance that is too great 
for us to risk. Exactly. You know, if 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 you were, you know, like if you had cancer and there's a 1% chance of death, you're going to go get chemo, right? <laughs> and that's not to defend the doctrine so much as just to explain, like, I don't know how people like in Winnipeg reacted to, to 9-11, but I know like many... We we didn't actually have a TV. Well, we had a TV, but we we like kept it in storage most of the time, and we would just like pull it out to watch movies. But I remember after nine eleven, it was on almost twenty four seven on the news, just like regurgitating all of the what happened, how did it happen, what could happen next, what do we need? Like it was just a non like if people think that like news today is crazy. It was just this non stuff, and that wasn't like unique to my family. That was like all Americans were just glued to this who are these terrorists what do they want where are they how are we going to stop them and if someone like cheney said if there's a one percent chance we have to treat it as a certainty and we looked at what happened in new york we'd say yeah yeah we don't want to roll the dice on that happening again yeah and so you look at batman who not only had he already had some sort of trauma but he was there when it happened and so he's also got probably like a one of the big concepts that we learned about from after 9-11 was the concept of, and it's not we learned about it, it's, it's always existed, but um, w- one of the big things you saw in the fallout was survivor's guilt. Yeah. That there were people who were there, they were in the tower, they were in the city, um, they were supposed to get on the plane, and they didn't. You know, whatever, whatever the, there, there's dozens and dozens of stories, hundreds of these stories, where people, like, they, their lives don't make sense because they were supposed to die that day, um, and somebody else did instead. And um, and so there's so many different things, trauma on trauma on trauma stacking on, on Bruce. And you add to the fact that, like, it's his job. Like we were saying in the last minute, the reason he created the Batman mantle was as insulation to, like, prevent these things from happening. Um, and so is it right? Is it logical? Like, that stuff kind of all goes out the window in the face of, it's necessary in his mind, at least. I'm reminded of a, another incredible series, Black Sails, where someone said, only a fool ignores a pattern because they don't like the implications. And Batman, this is a, this is a really, it's a fun thing to engage with intellectually as a fan of Batman, where he was created to stop the bad guys, ideally before they go bad. In a lot of cases, right? Like before they do the thing that's bad. Right. Which like by its nature is a very, a small version of this doctrine, right? So if there's a 1% chance that they're going to rob that that house, I'm going to intercept them, right? It's not well, his a... His entire job is is looking at what could happen. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, a Batman who just goes around beating up bad guys is like, that's a goon. That's a thug. You know, like the, the that's not the version of Batman that people like to think. Batman is a guy who thinks ahead. Well, how does he think ahead? He weighed the probability of what things would happen and then planned and acted accordingly. So, right. Well, and, and he weighs it against the, the, the probability of it happening versus the seriousness of it actually happening. Yeah, the guy has contingency plans for every member of the Justice League going bad. What are the odds of that happening? Mm-hmm. This is a Batman who has seen what is possible. And he has seen the world just decide to go on and say, boy, I hope that doesn't happen again. Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, in, in, in movie time, three minutes ago, but in time for him, you know, within the past hour or so, he witnessed a vision, a visceral vision of the future in which we're not talking about 
like a, a nuclear bomb. Like we're talking about the decimation of humanity. Yeah, the and entire he planet felt that he 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 witnessed that, and then a specter of the future came and told him, "Fear him. You were always right about him. Stop this from happening." It's so weird because I've had discussions with people before where you bring like this minute up, and it's very controversial because I I was told by someone that it's irresponsible to like this does not belong in a comic book movie. Like the Cheney doctrine is so it belongs in the white house. It's racist. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, um, uh, militaristic. It's like, why is this something that we're examining in in a comic book movie? And like that, I may, maybe comes down to your opinion on like what type material comics are supposed to adapt. Um, and it's weird to discuss it because I don't, I know neither of us is necessarily trying to justify it, but I do think we're we're trying very hard to explain that, like, while it may be crazy or over the top or extreme, you need to understand, empathize with the fact that, like, this is a very real thing that people thought. I don't, I don't, I was a little bit young maybe to be too aggressive about it, but like, I get it. Um, and I remember the time that, like, this is something that like people wouldn't be as like you tell us to someone today and they'd be like, excuse me, what? But like back then, it was like, of course you do. You don't want another, you know, you don't want the, those terrorists doing that again. Do you? you? You can't let your guard down. I'll just say, whether it's right or not, you don't get to pick and choose what kind of history you want. To, or I mean, I guess you can, but the whole experiment of this movie is what do the like icons of Batman and Superman represent to the modern America and world today. In that in that exploration, I don't get to pick and choose what parts of America or what parts of the world or what parts of explicitly like the establishment and the surveillance state that Batman now embodies. I, that's that would be intellectually dishonest to do that and that would be like a propaganda of its own. Like that that like we've kind of said before. I don't think Zack Snyder is giving an answer explicitly in this story one way or another more than raising questions. And the question is, I'll say the core fear-motivated compromise that was made in the wake of 9-11. The fear is real enough to do things that we wouldn't if we were of our right minds. You would like to think, right? Like, you would like to think that people would be more reasonable, cooler heads would prevail, and that a relatively small risk would not call some massive action down upon it. But the reality is that is what happened in America and all around the world in the wake of this horrible crisis. Okay, well, now here's this horrible crisis that happened with Superman. What does that look like in the fallout? And what would happen if a person like Batman, who as a mythic figure is all about looking ahead and weighing risk well, and, and I think we said this when we were talking about the depiction of the destruction of Metropolis and its its own similarities to 9-11. And there's a question of, is it appropriate to adopt that imagery or or bear that kind of influence in fiction, in superhero, you know, comic book fiction, right? And and I think what we said then, and I'll say it again now, is that um, I, I, I understand the question. But I would posit that I I think it's more irresponsible to not depict it that way. If you're going to have an event that is that catastrophic that somebody experiences and then you don't take the real life 
fallout of that as an influence. Yeah, just show all the good stuff. I don't know. I'm not. I won't. I'll avoid the comparison to other franchises. But if that were to happen, and then like Batman were to like stick to his principles, like no, because that's not what happened. And it's easy to demonize the people that were in charge at the time, and say. Like, oh, well, they were just evil, and that's why they, they did that. Or, you know, whatever it is that you're going to say because of, you know, political reasons today. But there's, like, a weird push and pull factor that was going on. The people were afraid, and they wanted someone to protect them. And so they said, do whatever you have to to protect us. And then you take the people who were in charge, and their job is to protect, in the case of the United States, 300 million people are looking at you saying, please, do whatever you have to to not let this happen to us again. And how do you, how do you know? And so you're Batman and you're in that and you're, you're put into those shoes and, and you and you say, you, you are the only one who can stop this from happening. How do you make sure it doesn't happen on your watch? And this is the answer, right? I mean, it's not, maybe it's not the right answer, but this is if, if you're given that responsibility and you're told, don't let this happen, well, you're not going to take a 1% chance. Like, we're not going to come to any more sophisticated answers here, <laughs> just like the movie doesn't. Right. Well, it's not about answering answering it so much as just understanding why that's what he thinks. Whether or yeah. not it's right or wrong, we just got to know why. Well, and especially because Man of Steel, I mean, started with people fear what they don't understand, right? Like your your emergence will terrify people. Like that is a, that is a core part of the theme of this movie is the fear, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness. What would that do to people? And there is, you know, this movie – this exploration saying, what what would that do to reasonable people? We have some real clear examples that honestly, based on the reaction to this movie and this scene, confirm people have really conveniently chosen to forget because it isn't a nice thing to remember. We know what is motivating Bruce here, and it is not reason. Yeah. An example I, I, I use that's more of a joke, but I kind of helps me understand the mindset at least is... Um, like sitting in the emergency exit row on an airplane, we have to like confirm with them. Like, yes, I understand the responsibility and I'm willing to take that, like that burden that it's my job to get out this door. And that's kind of, you know, you're sitting on a plane and like, that's not necessarily something you want to do until you start looking around and you think, well, if I don't do it, then I'm yeah. <laughs> to get this I trust door myself open. more than them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so you're like, no, I don't want to be responsible for this. But like, if someone's going to be responsible for it, it's going to be me because I know I can get it done. And not have to, you know, at least you think you can, right? You don't want to be stuck behind, you know, because you were like, oh, I'll let someone else handle that. And that's, and so once again, who is Batman? Like as an archetype, he's, he's that person. He's the, the boy with his finger in the dam, right? I do. And I wanted to call out the one thing that I uh, noticed in this is we've noted this before with him and Diana the way that this scene takes place, it was interesting to me in the previous minute where you called out the Batmobile between them, the schematics in the background, because my memory of this scene is always Alfred and Bruce face to face. Yeah. And and it is – this scene is couldn't be closer because this is just Bruce's – like as he gets closer to Alfred, it just becomes this little world that they're in. And – the, again, at the end of the scene where he where he steps away and he says 14 hours until the ship arrives and you almost get like this exhale of breath yeah. as they stretch apart that it is it's using the filmmaking to drive home, at least for me, the fact that Bruce is losing perspective, like he's literally losing perspective and awareness of what is happening around him 
versus what is happening directly in front of him. We had that with Diana, right? Yeah. Well, there's an important climax, like mini climax here of a of a smaller arc between Bruce and Alfred, right? Where Bruce has been on this track the whole time and Alfred has been needling him with, you know, Bruce Wayne got more done than Batman did. You know, he's not our enemy. Like he's he's like he's been the voice of reason, the voice of truth trying to keep Bruce anchored to not give into that rage. And I know you you affectionately referred to it as minutia in the in the last minute, but in this minute then you've got that that red screen or the red walls behind him. And so you talk about the fever, the rage, like literally the room is glowing red behind Bruce as he is just it, it he's just a free fall into this pit of 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 rage. And instead of it ending with like a stalemate with Alfred like it normally does where like you know, they kind of shrug it off, and then he brings him coffee in the morning. He turns around. He doesn't give him a chance to respond. He turns around and walks away and says 14 hours, and that is, that's his, like, he has severed from Alfred's. Like, he has, he has ex, um, exercised his conscience. Um, he's, he's like, you are, you are no longer my conscience. You are my mechanic. Your job is to make sure the Batmobile is ready to go. Do it. Don't tell me anything. When Frank Miller wrote The Dark Knight Returns, Superman embodied the establishment. Right. And remember that was that was written at a time where America was I mean not that we're not necessarily now, but at the time America was a superpower and 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 Superman sort of represented that version of the establishment. Yeah. And now fast forward to the modern day depicted in this movie and who who embodies it better? Is it the character of Superman who goes where he wants, does what he wants, operates on his own rules and sense of morality, or Batman who is operating in the shadows, helping the police, mm-hmm. following a, 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 a cold law, you know, new rules, like even the idea that there are rules. Bruce has completely become the embodiment, uh, the like... I'll say like amoral at times embodiment of America, the modern surveillance state Mm -hmm. where decisions are made that the average person might not like, but they'd let him make them, you know, like, well, because they don't, the it's, it's comfortable, right. To, to allow him to do that and trust that it's keeping you safe. And that way you're not responding, you know, then you don't have to be the one sitting in the exit aisle. <laughs> yeah, he's beating right. up human traffickers. Who cares? Yeah. Oh, this guy gets killed in prison. Oh, oh I'm so sad. I'm so sad for this guy's lost. Um, he was a human trafficker it, anyway. Like, yeah, it's it's encouraging that, and it's one of the things that I really like about this this approach to Batman is everybody loves Batman because he has to hit the people who hit the innocent. Right. Right. It is just raw, released rage against the people who the law doesn't fix, the law doesn't catch, right? That by that reasoning, Batman is an extension of the law or in kind of a a way that is troubling to pull into the light, he's an embodiment of the law that people wish was there. Right. Well, and that's what's funny about people talk about whether or not like superhero movies should be wish fulfillment. And that's a big thing. Like this is, this movie is too cynical. It should be more that. And that's what's so crazy about when you look at Batman and really what he represents. 
I mean, I love the character. Everyone loves the character. So you can't like take him down as like fundamentally he's flawed and shouldn't exist this no, way. No, no, no. But I mean, like like you just said, he is he is the embodiment of what everyone wishes they they could do because when things don't follow the natural order or the or the the rule of law, people wish they could just go out and express their rage at injustice without repercussion of the fact that like without being responsible to the police and with due process and with and with all those things but those are there to you know that's all there to protect you you know it's not there to protect the criminals there to protect you but if you if you think like you're above that somehow that is the wish fulfillment of batman and on what snyder does is instead of um, allowing people to live that dream He's just pointing it out, <laughs> really. He's saying, this is what you want. This is what you're rooting for. Batman has become an extension of the law that is outside the law or above the law. That is set up beautifully as we segue into the second section of the minute, which is Clark saying, I'm Clark Kent from the Daily Planet. Uh, which is so... And po- it like... <laughs> I've always had trouble putting my finger on exactly what's so weird about that. And I think with everything else that we've talked about in this minute, it's it's kind of self-explanatory. But I think the big thing is that Batman isn't always at odds with the police in the comics. He He's definitely worked with them before, but it's pretty common that he's at odds with them. Um, at least in like, you know, that was a thing that Nolan did in the, in the other Batman movies, at least in... Uh, and Batman Begins, he did it, and then a little bit in, in, um, in Rises. Um, obviously, like Mask of the Phantasm, that's a big thing, and Year One's a big thing. So what's what's so weird about this is not just like the implicit kind of like we'll look the other way while you, swoop in and get, take care of these guys, but the police. For, first of all, the the relationship is such that a cartoonist, presumably for the newspaper drew that up oh shoot i don't have it in front of me what does it say it's the they're wielding the bat signal like a baseball bat oh the gothamville slugger yeah the gothamville slugger and um and so it's not just that that comic exists as a commentary on batman's cooperation with the police but it's actually like laminated and taped to the counter in the police station for the visitors to read right it's not like a it's not like a dilbert cartoon like back on their bulletin board or something. Yeah. It's literally like, welcome to the police. Here's a cartoon about Batman. Well, you know, Stephen, I'm realizing now that discussing who and what Batman is, is a lot more complicated than a person might think, <laughs> because I don't know if he is supposed to be an embodiment of the justice that the police can't or won't give, or if he is an embodiment of, of the punishment that they should never be allowed to perpetrate. Like I, I, I can't even wrap my head around that because this is such a weird time in the world for anyone in future listening to this. This is set during the first half of 2020. So the idea of police wishing that they could inflict the harm that Batman does means something different than it did when this movie was in theaters. I think right. I remember when this movie was in theaters and seeing that cartoon and thinking the police are bragging that Batman hurting people is exercising their will, that he's on their side and that that is what 
they endorse. That seems like a crazy Well, and this is a world also in which people are dying in prison with the Bat brand on them. And it's in the papers. Like, it's a known thing, and they're still cooperating in this way. So... So it's not just like a wink, wink, nod, nod, like going on. It's, um, I mean, it is, but it's, 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 it's a level beyond that of being explicitly like in favor of, of what's going on. Yeah. And that's not even, that's not, honestly, it's not even a, like, do you support police in the real world or anything? It is, it is literally calling out what is the relationship now between Batman yeah. and the police. Well, and I think like you said that the relationship between like the police or the role of the police is such a, in such a crazy place right now compared to like when this movie comes out. And I think that's a really f- perfect example though, of how like these movies, like what Snyder has tapped into here is not a moment in time. He hit something on the zeitgeist, the the question that we can't answer about this is kind of the reason that the examination is occurring. Totally, yeah. The, the, that's what these characters were created to, or not what they were created to, what these characters came to embody within them. Right. Well, and, and, and they're questions that we can examine with these characters in ways that we can't without them. And so it's it seems almost, you wonder, is it like fortuitous? Or not fortuitous. Like obviously, nobody wishes the the circumstances to benefit the story, but is it um, is it convenient to to the story that like the world is like reflecting more of these things that Snyder had in there at the time, or is it that he was he was prophetic at including them, or is it just that he pointed out a truth about the notion of justice, the notion of of um, protecting against power about who is responsible for enforcing things, um, who should have oversight, who watches the watchmen, right? And it is such a core... I mean, even the who watches the watchmen line appears multiple times in this movie in different in different forms. And that and that is the at the heart of what Snyder's characters are are studying. And so, it, not that it was irrelevant when this movie came out, but the all this stuff has only gotten more and more and more pertinent. And it's not that the movie even preaches about it or gives an answer... But it it tries to grapple with the very same thing that we're now grappling with, like you said, even more than than in, we were in 2016. I get it. Like I get why people that makes people mad. It's 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 almost offensive to say like, do you buy into this? Because it asked in the beginning, do you believe in this principle? And a lot of people would say, yeah, I do. And then he exposes something about the nature of of humanity as you follow Batman's arc and people say, no, I'm not on board for this. Yeah. And, um, and I think people feel maybe called out by Mike Snyder being like, look, this is what, like, this is what you believe. This is what these principles mean. If you follow them to their conclusion, it's the, yeah. it's the, it's the Cheney, <laughs> the Cheney doctrine. And, uh, you know, people don't like being told like, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe you did support that. <laughs> I mean, this, this next minute is going to, drop that like a ton of bricks mm-hmm. because um, of what we're going to here. But, but the, where we're left at is it is, it's, I think it is kind of what we were talking about with the post nine 11 and like the America, the institution in terms of what is protection, what is order um, that that is, 
immediately followed by Clark. I don't know if we said heading into Gotham and seeing, oh, yeah, actually, why wouldn't the police like what Batman's doing? Yeah. Um, he, he's not an enemy. He, so what is the character then? What, uh, did the character change? Like, did the police change? Well, in the same way that this version of Superman, we always say that it's not that Snyder changed Superman. He just put Superman in the modern world. And so maybe in previous interpretations of Batman, he existed at a time where the police, where people would believe that the police would say, no, that's not right. But yeah. in the world that we live in today, the police would be like, oh, no, we like the fact that someone is capable of doing this. But yeah, so Batman is crazy, but he is the kind of crazy the Gotham PD has gotten behind, it seems. Yeah. All all evidence suggests. And Clark has sadly been told he can't get any information on Cesar Santos. So I guess this investigation is dead, and that's where we'll leave it in minute 73. Before we wrap up, it's my, it's my job to extend it a few more minutes. Um, I, just because we spent the five entire five minutes of the nightmare praising Rich Citrone for being Batman, I think that it's been a minute since we've praised exactly how on point Ben Affleck's performance as Bruce Wayne is last minute, but like, especially in his delivery this minute, it's beautifully written by Terrio. So, so you got to compliment both of them, but his, his delivery of, of the first half of this minute and the making the the 1% like selling that he believes the 1% doctrine and and closing off Alfred there's a turn in the character and it's it's one of his like finest moments in the in the whole movie and I just wanted to make sure that that didn't go unmentioned considering you know like I said we were just praising uh the other half of Batman immediately before that but it's it's really cool to have those two halves two performances married to make this a whole character in this movie. (sighs) Well, these questions are going to be given further twists. So any, any sense that we've made of, of these minutes is about to be completely undercut in uh, minute 74, but that will have to wait in the meantime. That will do it for Minute 73. For people who want to share their own thoughts, uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter at BVS by the Minute. You can find us in iTunes, or no, not iTunes, Apple Podcasts, all of your favorite podcast spots. If you feel inclined to give a review, uh, I know that both Superman and Batman would appreciate that as lovers and haters of rules and restrictions of all kinds. I, this is the first time that looking at that cartoon, I was like, oh, it's the bat signal literally making the bat in his hands. Yeah. Wow. wow. The red capes are coming. The red capes are coming. Hmm. One if I land. Hmm. Two if by air. Hmm.